0: The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, President Biden's EV mandates take a tumble. Ford Rethinks, the F-150 Lightning, and Part 1 of our conversation with championship-winning race car driver Andrew Davis. All that and a whole bunch more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim, right now. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Timothy Pasqual, a poster to the stars. Tim, how you doing, man? I'm good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great. We're back in the saddle. Yes, I'm we are. We're goofing around doing... You know, podcasts and going mm-hmm. here and there, and uh, they
1: haven't caught up to us yet. No, no, no. How were your holidays? Oh,
0: awesome. How about you, Bill? Did you have a good holiday? Just kind of quiet this year. You didn't do any traveling, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, oh. that's kind of holiday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stay home. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm getting the stay vacations and or one of the staycations. Staycations. Yeah, well, I love that. Yeah, but you got all that acreage now. You yeah. Can, you can run away and hide. On the tractor. On the tractor. Wow. <laughs> Did you see we had the flashing Christmas lights hanging around the necks of all the goats? It was really pretty this year. Oh, you, that would be funny. They'd eat them though. <laughs> Sooner know, or later, they'd eat them.
1: <laughs> I heard a uh, story about you. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a cattle truck turned over in the median, and I stopped, and the cops weren't there yet, and and the guy I, I asked him what happened. He said, "Well, I'm hauling sheep, and we were passing this." Uh, escape hybrid and mm-hmm. all the sheep recognized the driver and they ran over to the other side of the trailer and, <laughs> and it turned tipped it the over. truck over. Okay. Alright, all right, let's move uh, on
0: here from there. Uh, hydrogen is a better fit for heavy duty use, okay? You, right. want, you want to run that bias? Well, and,
1: and, and it's important to note... it's two different applications. There's two different yeah. applications, mm-hmm. right. One is a hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle, which is using the hydrogen power the electric motor so picture a a
0: standalone generator if you will mm-hmm. that's maybe on the on the rails of the
1: cab or in the front of the trailer or something right. like that. and the other way is just a regular internal combustion engine as we have now that is powered by hydrogen yeah. which means you don't really have to change anything except the fuel delivery system and the tanks, right? And and the fuel can be delivered to a tank, just like gasoline. Is. Just like gasoline. Yeah. yeah. The only downside of that is it's creating the hydrogen is still a rather dirty process, but well, it's a
0: it's a stopgap measure. It is. You know, it is absolutely because creating a battery that'll run a tractor trailer is is hugely dirty. Right. And you get about half the uh, half the mileage. Out what of
1: it. they're saying is. A regular EV tractor trailer is going to get about 275 miles per charge, and then it's got to charge for a while to be usable again.
0: So let me ask you this: Over-the-road trucker, former over-the-road trucker, yes, we still have your license, so I guess you still mm-hmm. could. 82,000 pounds, you know, 40 tons plus is what you're carrying. Right. You know, tractor trailer weighs, and they're getting a range of 500 miles. What is the limit on miles that you can drive a day? 11 hours. As
1: it stands and now. And at,
0: at 11 hours at, at a normal speed? At a normal speed. Combustion. It used to
1: be when I was driving, you always used an average of 50 miles an hour. But now I think that's up to 65 miles an hour.
0: So so you can
1: easily go over 700 miles okay. a day.
0: Okay. So the the I would think that the goal that we'd be looking for is 800 miles mm-hmm. on a, on, a, on a... Regardless of whether it's hydrogen or EV-powered right. tractor-trailer. But, you know, just... On a on a tractor trailer, when you think about dragging a battery around uh, on a like a Hummer, yeah, you know EV, mm-hmm. uh, what did I tell you that the, the battery weighs like forty five hundred pounds. Right. just it, the battery. It's, it's yeah. So you it's 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 like putting forty five hundred pounds of cement mm-hmm. in your regular vehicle and and driving it and right. and you're dragging all that with you. Sure. So. You know these these fuel cells don't weigh anywhere near that right so it's you know it's a step in the right direction especially if you're in you know california what are you supposed to do sell your truck and and you can't haul because you can't meet the restrictions
1: now all of a sudden california is very excited to hear about this
0: well i think what's what's exciting about this is this technology is transferable to cars Mm -hmm. there's already toyota out there running it hydrogen Again, where do you go, you know, get hydrogen? Where are you going
1: to fill it up? Right. That's, we need infrastructure.
0: Well, you know, I had referenced uh, Love Truck Stops with the natural gas. Mm-hmm. You know, any of these truck stops of America or any of those could team up with the companies. And another great thing about this is a lot of the vehicles that are using this, like the Cummins diesel and stuff like that, right. uses the same components as the regular diesel, so you're not reinventing the wheel. Right. You're just taking this technology and putting it on to an existing platform.
1: And to a truck owner, downtime is the most important thing. And if if you can fill up your truck with hydrogen in the same amount of time it takes to fill it up with diesel, as opposed to having to charge the batteries for several hours, yeah. you have reduced your downtime and created more uptime.
0: And, and basically, I'm thinking, you know... Th- Filling a truck with hydrogen is going to be like filling something with with propane you know mm-hmm. there's pressures involved you've got to monitor what you're doing right. i would I would imagine that they'll have people at the when they put in this infrastructure they'll have people specifically at the truck stop that are going to fill it for you, you know, oh sure without blowing everything up we're, we're, but <laughs> uh, well it, and it's not it's not like it's not like it's a dirigible you know right it, it, it's a it's a different vessel that you put it in and, Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking right now, people are thinking, well, what if a truck gets, you know, sideways and oh, crashes you, and stuff? You
1: could do the same thing with gasoline or diesel. Or diesel. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a miracle that there aren't more fires at gas stations. Oh, yeah. All right. Some of the people you see putting gas in their cars. Oh,
0: gosh. Isn't that isn't that the truth? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, quickly. I just want to do this quickly. Uh, the house votes down the biden ev mandates okay yeah and uh basically what that says is say hey, uh we can't do this we the manufacturers cannot keep up with what you want to do with the uh, you know and the impact that it's going to have on the american auto industry
1: and i think it's great that the house the bipartisan house decided yes. to do this however but okay this is a propaganda announcement
0: oh yeah yeah, because
1: they get it, covered it, very well. Is it going to go anywhere? Is it going to what's going to happen when it gets to the Senate? If it gets through that, it gets to Biden's desk. Is he going to sign it or is he going to veto it? I mean, I I think it's a nice gesture, but I don't think anything's going to come of it. That's just my opinion. Well, I think a, it's
0: a, I think it's a realistic gesture.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it mean is. and everybody knows it. I mean, and, and, you know, I don't care who you it. are. Whether yeah. you care about cars and don't care about cars or anything, right. it's it's. Excuse me, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't demand everybody go and get an electric car. Right. You know, the when, when they're 50 grand mm-hmm. to begin with, and they have no place to plug it in.
1: Yeah. So. And this is why, uh, as far as my friends in Cuba have taught me, save your old cars.
0: <laughs> you have lots of friends in Cuba, huh?
1: <laughs> well, not as many as they got, all got let out of prison and sent to Miami. Oh. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, only 10 EVs will be eligible for the tax credit in, in uh, $7,500 tax credits. And credit this is another thing. I know, I know, I know.
1: <laughs> you, Go ahead. You want to Jump yeah, on it. You want to get... Okay, we're going to have vehicle tax credits, but... Well, it has, it's going to be up front, though, when you buy the vehicle.
0: Uh, instead of going to the accountant and getting the $7,500. But they're going to cut, cut out so many cars
1: yeah, they that were eligible now. There's only going to be nine cars? Nine cars. Nine cars yeah. that are going to be eligible. So... Uh, who are we favoring? Uh, yeah. Union. Mm-hmm. Not that I got anything against that. No. But if we're going to try to actually get electric cars on the road, wouldn't you think it would be just across the well, board?
0: Well, the, the aggravating thing about it is some of the cars that are available now for the tax credit are just instantly wiped off the map. Oh yeah, right. There, there, w- there was no trickle down or do let's do this gradually. Uh uh-huh. You know, there's, there's only nine cars out there now that'll be eligible for this full tax credit
1: right and and even that th- those cars are very expensive most of them
0: well yeah you're starting the cheapest one is 48 grand yeah so and and there's a fifty thousand dollar cap on it if mm-hmm. it's a car and there's an eighty thousand dollar cap if it's a um, truck
1: so so there you go i was reading a story about someone with a uh, lightning that they paid eighty eight thousand dollars
0: yeah now so. now you can pick one up for considerably less really yeah, because Ford has changed their mind on the Lightning, too.
1: Mm-hmm. And instead of
0: producing uh, like 3,200 units, they're going to take it down about 1,600 a year. Oh, a week. I'm sorry. 1,600 a week compared mm. to 3,200 a week.
1: Right. That's no, just, no, that to nobody, me nobody's, that... Nobody's buying them. Right. Who's, who's going to buy the 1,600 a week?
0: Well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, you know, Ford has basically said they're going to continue to build... They're going to match production with customer demand. What a concept. Yeah, that's a good so idea. Why build a bunch of cars that nobody wants? Mm. Or trucks that nobody wants. I'm not knocking the F 150. I think it's no, a great it's- idea. They also have a hybrid version of the F 150 mm-hmm. that, that is fine. But we don't have a way to plug it in and utilize it. Right. It's just not practical. So, um, God bless those folks that paid, you know, 100 grand for the, the original ones that came out. And maybe they're working great for them. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully they are. But if you want more information on this, don't go to the dealer to find out the information because they're as confused as we are. Yes, they go are. Go to your tax consultant. Mm-hmm. All right? So, as most of the folks know that listen to either the Bud Scratch Show or the Bud Scratch Overdrive podcast, Bud spends a good part of his time loitering. Yeah, I, I've found that out. You, you found know. that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. People talk. <laughs> I get thrown out of all sorts of places mm-hmm. for, for loitering. But one of the places that doesn't toss me out is Concept One pulley systems. So I'm in there last week, and I'm talking with Randy. He's one of the, the brothers. You have Randy and Kevin Redd, and their dad is there. And they've got the CNC machines going and all this. And I, I walk into the office, and Randy's got a CAD drawing up on his two computers. He's got two big computers, and he's got the screens up there. And I, you know. I was interested. It's all pretty colors and stuff, and it's mechanical. And oh yeah. So I said, "What's that, Randy?" He said, "That's an LT4 Corvette engine." So he had the CAD file from General Motors, which they work with GM. So they, you know, they they have access to that kind of stuff, or you, you get it magically somehow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he had this CAD drawing on there, and I said, well, "What are you doing with it? Uh, I mean, what what are you trying to look at or figure out?" He says, "Well, we're making a pulley system for this engine." And he showed me some, some particular bosses that were made into the manifolds and the water pump area of the engine. he says, what I've gotta do is I've gotta figure out a way to, to work around that. I've gotta, I've either gotta make a component to change how that's configured, or I've gotta make, you know, I, I've gotta somehow come up with a different manifold that we could manufacture or have manufactured that would, would do the job but that's how in depth these guys are. Wow. You know, you and me are, are putting something together on the garage floor right. with washers and bolts and trying to you know, oh. trying to figure out how well, how can I make this belt fit over to here and mm. and all that. And they're doing it all on the computer and when they get done, they can program that stuff into their CNC machines, run run one and you know, put it on an engine see if it works. Okay. And but that's that's the kind of background knowledge you need and the type of access that you need in order to build something as unique and as, as proper and properly fitting as the systems they make at Concept One Pulley Systems. Chevrolet and Ford stuff, mm-hmm. um, and they're working on the LT4 and the Godzilla engine right now, the pushrod engine, the Ford engine, to make pulley systems for them. And they, they've got more coming down the line. He says he just doesn't have enough hours in the day sometimes to get it all done.
1: Well, it goes to show how many different powertrain
0: options came on those cars. Right. And how they can be improved upon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. And when they produce it, it'll be right for you and it'll fit. It'll be fit, it'll be finished properly, and, uh, you know, it'll improve your hot rodding experience
1: oh yeah and isn't that great for us guys that are out there in the garage trying to install these uh, parts and it's like hey it actually fit like it, it was supposed like to like it's supposed wow to. don't need to add any
0: washers right. or a double layer of goop to <laughs> seal mm. it or any of that kind of stuff uh, precision work uh precision minded people and they do a great job and produce a great product check them out at concept1c1.com
1: okay Boy. But there was something that I wanted to do that was on a previous segment and I did a little research So I wanted to it's it's really quick. It won't take a lot of time yeah. about the Jacob's engine brake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I'll forget if we don't do it now. you'll forget to do it again. Right? Yeah, the the way that a Jacob's engine brake, you hear that when trucks are yeah, slowing yeah. down the it the intake of air comes in through the intake valves and goes to the pistons and then the pistons transfer the power to the drive line. Correct. When you hit the Jacobs engine brake switch, the intake comes in through the intake valves, but the pistons get a message that say, do not turn this into power, send it back out the exhaust valves. And so that's what you're creating a giant compressor.
0: So you're opening the exhaust valve and letting that right. You're letting that intake air go right out.
1: And that's what makes it so noisy, and that's what slows the truck down. And they
0: also have some kind of an exhaust back pressure thing uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea where you're you're restricting the exhaust.
1: I had one of those on a uh, box truck, and Mm -hmm. it does work, and it worked fine. Yeah, but would seem that it it would make the valves hot.
0: Yeah, well, it probably would. But if you want to watch a really interesting video. Mm Mm-hmm go to jake Brake truckers or whatever it was and there's there's four or five videos that pop up mm-hmm. using a jake Brake, and there's four or five uh videos that come up and one is a young man's got a beautiful truck and he's going down a seven mile grade mm-hmm. with this truck and he shows you how it how it works with the jake Brake. but what blew me away was the gauges and the stuff inside the truck and and his view of the road from where he's at and he's got 82,000 pounds that he's trying to control going down this hill Wow! without hitting his brakes. Yeah. And it's, it's an eye-opening video. If you've never sure. ridden in a tractor trailer, just watch this video. This young guy's got complete control of the truck, and he's in no hurry because you can't be. Mm-mm. And he's not smoking the brakes, and he's talking about runoff hills and, and those kinds of yeah. things. And uh, it, it's just a very good video. But it gives you such a inside view of what that guy in that truck, you know, as you're going by him at 80 miles an hour, right? You know, the danger that he's in if that truck gets away.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And so it's
0: it's it's amazing technology. All right, very okay. good. I'm glad you brought all that. Okay, well,
1: thank you for letting me do that. Well,
0: you you are you are the other half of Bud's Garage. <laughs> okay, we're doing a car podcast. Yes. We got three guys in the studio, mm-hmm. and neither one of us do a whole lot of worrying about her hair, apparently. No. Well, aside from, is it there? And uh, <laughs> right. combing it, it not once there? in a while, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but there is a whole industry out there of people that take care of hair, mm-hmm. and you know what you can learn about taking care of hair and skin and things like
1: that at Lanier Technical College. That is absolutely correct. And for guys like us that uh, have faces <laughs> that were made for radio, yeah, especially. we'll talk.
0: We'll talk about. Another program they have. But tell us a little bit about cosmetology, things I never thought about. You know, I, I just
1: go get my hair cut and whoop-de-doo. You know? I know. Who knew that there, you were, go, there you're was You're going actually, get your, your head polished. I, yeah, exactly. It's the shaving and polishing. and. <laughs> well, this the cosmetology program at Lanier Technical College emphasizes the specialized training in safety, sanitation, state laws, rules, regulations. I had no idea that they had so much on them. Chemistry, anatomy, physiology... For skin, hair, nail diseases and disorders, hair treatments and manipulations. Wow. Well, whatever that is. I don't know either. But okay. I've
0: I've been I've been to the the, the lady that cuts my hair. She's mm-hmm. known her for a long time. She's a great friend. But sometimes I'll go there and the and the people have tin foil on their head and she's she's painting different colours and oh, really? highlighting is what mm-hmm. it's called.
1: Uh, I don't go foil, there, but yeah. foil hats?
0: Is that the- well, no, no. I don't know if they're trying to pick up radio stations or something like that. But it's a career uh-huh. that you can, you know, it's a lifelong career you can take. An oh, sure. End, you know, it's the, you may have to change if you go from state to state. You may have to do something with your licensing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like being a mechanic. You can, right. you can take your skills with you. And right. it's something you can learn in a year or oh, two. Oh, sure. And they have another part of this. Because, I mean, there's ugly people all Would over you the world. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, and part of this program, you can, you can do the, the cosmetology part, but you can also become an esthetician. Yeah, uh, That's somebody that takes care of skin.
1: Nothing to do with math.
0: No, no, no. So you, you, you go on a cruise, mm-hmm. you go to the spa, mm-hmm. and they offer to give you a facial where they defoliate your skin and get the oils out of your skin and all that kind of uh, stuff. Okay. They don't do any actual procedures. Um, you know like uh, what do you call it they don't touch you things like that no well they touch you because I mean, they, cut no no yeah, they we, don't we, cut we, you we, that's right <laughs> they don't cut you but you could you know you could wind up working for a plastic surgeon or uh, okay. uh, you know a, a dermatologist office mm-hmm. and uh, you know you have clinical esthetician a waxing specialist a brow specialist you could do something with your brows too yeah i'm sure i could you know the the black paint <laughs> it's just not the same same thing but anyway if you're interested in this type of career and it is a career that's what we need to emphasize about mm-hmm. Near technical college they train you for a career right and uh you can reach out to them at neartechnicalcollege.net and find out more about cosmetology esthetician yeah. or all the other great programs they have, which we will tell you more about in future podcasts. I can't wait to hear. All right, Lanier Technical College.net. Well, today's guest is a fellow alumnus, I guess is the best terminology from uh, UGA, uh, championship sports car, race car driver, uh, was once my uh, instructor at a racing school, and he, he survived all of that. And here he is today,
2: Andrew Davis. Welcome
0: into Bud's Garage Overdrive, man.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Bud. This is going to be a lot of fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well,
0: you know, we, we ran into each other at the racetrack. We run into each other at the airport and wherever it might be. But, right. um, and like I say, you were at one point in time my uh, driving instructor for the Panos Racing School. What I wanted to ask you before we get into your racing now in the last couple of decades, how did it all start for you?
2: Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's, that's a good question. And, and there's a lot to that. Um, it really started with, with my father. So my father raced. Sure. Um, so he raced SCCA, started out in a little F production, MG Midget, mm-hmm. uh, had a couple of those. So from about the time I was four years old, he started racing. And I, I feel like, I say this all the time, I grew up at Road Atlanta. Oh, yeah. I, I love to find little pictures of me, like five years old. Standing well, they're on the Facebook 12. page. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. 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 I follow your Facebook yeah. page. Yeah, I, I like to post stuff. those every now and then. But those moments, you know, um, not only watching my dad race at all the club races, you know, because then I'm, I'm a part of it. You know, I was I was a pit crew. Right. You know, I was I was probably just rolling a tire around or uh, my mom used to always say that uh, I was actually the PR representative because I would walk around to all the other competitor F production cars and go chat them up and see who I thought was going to be better than dad or who had the trick car. And then I'd go back and report to dad ah, traveling so,
0: roving spy. At yeah, the I track. was a bit of a spy, but, yeah. it,
2: but in that, you know, it, I just, the, the paddock at road Atlanta was, was such a comfortable place to me. And, and, um, and, and, so that started that love affair but in addition because road atlanta is such a you know an amazing facility an amazing track you know all the big races came through there so we had camel gt come through the trans am series which was which was amazing at that time it still is but it's it's a different kind of format now but back then you know the best of the best were racing those cars and then of course the scca runoffs which again at the time you know, if you were going to go IndyCar, then you were running Formula Atlantic in, as, in the runoffs. If you were going to go into sports car racing or Trans Am, you're running GT1. So the who's who of up-and-coming drivers were racing in the runoffs. So that put me at the track to see big pro events or high-level club events, you know, every three times a year. And I'd be playing a little hooky on the Thursday and the Wednesday to, to go and watch practice. So my mom and, and dad, normally my mom, and would take me and my brother to the, to the fence, we'd put chairs up and sit there, and I became enamored with the sport from a very early age. So it all started. That love affair started. Really, the passion came through my through my dad.
0: So what are we talking? What year are we talking?
2: So that was, I think, the first time I was at Road Atlanta was 1981. On my sh- my dad's shoulders, mm-hmm. I remember walking through a bunch of. Uh, it was strange, you know. Probably my first, even though I'm from the Atlanta area, my first real experience was some really thick red muddy clay because it was raining at that race. Mm -hmm. And I think that was actually, if I remember correctly, it was the final Can-Am race at Road Atlanta. So it was 1981 and I I have some vague memories of of that and those cars zipping around the track. so, yeah, around from 1981 on, you know, all through the 80s, I, I really I grew up there at Road Atlanta. Well,
0: you've honestly. seen some changes at the track,
2: for sure. Lots of changes. We're,
0: lots of changes. We're going to talk about some of that. Uh, as you, all right, so you're four years old. You're at the track. You're interacting with people. And the drivers, there's a certain bunch of drivers out there that just love kids. Mm-hmm. You happen yeah. to be one of them. That's true. And I would, I would think that you remember back to when you were a kid, when a little kid comes up to you. And because I've seen the interaction that you have with, uh, with children at the track.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a super important to me. And I think that's because, and I do it, you know, I do it naturally. I do it because I want to. Um, I always have time to chat with the kids, to, to sit down and come show them the car. You know, I put so many kids inside the car. I just say, hey, don't touch any of my buttons, but you can sit in here. <laughs> um, and, you know, just, I, I, it's, I love to see that passion and that spirit um, you know, it's it's unwavering. They're so excited, and because I was that kid, so I was walking through the paddock and talking to all these drivers. And of course, you know the the club racing drivers knew who I was because I was you know my, my, you know my dad's son. And but then I would walk through the the, the GTP paddock. And I've got all of my heroes stopping to talk to me. Al Holbert, Hurley Haywood, Brian Redman, Scott Pruitt. And he was a kid at the time now that I look (laughs) back at it. Um, You know, all these guys, they would stop and they would talk to me. They'd pat me on the head. They'd sign my little autograph book. And it was just amazing. They didn't have to do that. They were all busy. Now that I'm I'm a race car driver myself and I know how busy they actually were at the time, it's even more special that they took that moment. And it was a, a fraction of a second in their time of their day. But it, you just don't understand the, you know, the the impact it has, and the fact that I was like, it, it helped me realize this is attainable. I can do this too. I can be this person. So I, that's that's come back to where I always have time for all families. Anybody that wants to come up and talk to me at the racetrack, I always have time for you. But the children, especially, you know, I want to. I just I feel like it's my duty to try and bleed some of that passion to the younger generation. Keep so it going. Keep it going. Yeah. So our sport continues on. It's going to change. It's going to adapt. It has to. But if we don't have that passion and that drive from people, it uh, you know we'll lose the best part of parts of the sport.
0: So you're 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 with your dad, you're with your mom, and your brother at the racetrack. You're four years old. At what point in your young life do you realize you just said, "Well, I can do this"? When did you did you race go-karts? Did you you know how did you how did you make a transition from wandering around the pits to putting your seat in a in a vehicle and and getting around?
2: Yeah, it's a long meandering road. Um, <laughs> you know, here in uh, here in Georgia. Um, Go-kart racing is not huge, especially road course you know mm-hmm. type stuff. There was a track, and I think it's still down there, down in Barnesville, Georgia, right, which yeah. uh, with no GPS, we were never able to find. I remember <laughs> riding around one time with my dad um, trying to find it, and we couldn't find it. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't really go the dirt short track route, which there's a lot more options here in the state with that type sure, of stuff. Yeah. But uh, and now, you know, we have a new track up in, in, uh, in Dawsonville up there at Amp. Yeah, that's um, first class. Yeah, that's no, really, no, really no, cool. No, so no, I no. wish that was there when I was younger. So go karts weren't really an option. But from, a, from the very first, I raced whatever I could. So a big wheel, a bike on foot. Anytime there was a race, and I guess this is because I was you know, watching racing on TV and my dad, I always wanted to race you. So I'm going to race you and I'm going to beat you no matter what it is. Right, yeah. So what I, what I was able to find, I did ride around on bicycles all the time at home because that's what we did back in the 80s. You know, you had a bike and you rode to your friend's house. Yep. Um uh so i started racing bmx bmx was was a, attainable here and and pretty big in the state of georgia um, we had to travel a little bit down in peachtree city was kind of the 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 the, the, uh, the headquarters i guess there was a track in noonan there was a track in rome at one point in time rome georgia track in powder springs uh track down in albany so i started racing the it was the nbl at the time which is the national bicycle league those tracks a lot of those tracks are still there and this is still goes on in the state of georgia it's just kind of a like motorsports, it's a niche sport. A lot of people don't know about it, but uh, so BMX, bicycle, motocross, pedal power. Um, you know, starting from a gate, it's actually an Olympic sport now. Same really? sort of thing. Yeah, the, the, it's it's amazing. So they're, you're doing jumps and stuff. Yeah, jumps. And, yeah. Jumps and, uh... So it's a it's a you know just a, not a closed circuit. It was just a one run. You know, kind of looped back on itself, but you had a series of jumps, berms. Um, it was you know it was exercise. It was it was it was super intense. Um, It was so much fun, I loved it. So I kind of cut my teeth learning how to race and how to push my own limits and how to practice and how to test, how to get better, how to ask people for help um, and just that, that competition Um, dealing with the the ups and downs of doing well, the pressure of getting ready to, you know, the staging area and the the get to the gate and get to the race and all that because you do motos basically. You do three motos and then a main event. And I got to where I was running the national level when they would, I couldn't travel around all over the place, but when they would come here in town, I would race the big boys. So I'd be racing the factory drivers or factory riders, excuse me. Race the factory drivers now, but uh, uh, trying to keep up with all the, the GT and the Haro and the and the uh, robinson riders it was really really cool but um tons of that stuff translated over into what i do now and that just uh, being able to push those limits so i spent about five or six years racing bmx uh, before i took a break to play some high school football right and then uh and then from there the racing the racing went back into the four-wheel variety
0: so the competition was in your soul
2: Yes, yeah. always. This has all been an internal drive completely. The fire in my belly has been burning like crazy and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole push, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily a, I want to beat you. It's I want to be the best version of myself, right. uh, whatever that is. And I've always, you know, I've always thought that if I was at my best, I could put that up against anybody else's best. I tell people sometimes I'm not a I'm not a gambling man but I will gamble on one thing and that's myself and I always have. I'll put I put it all on the line for, you know, to 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 be at my best and given that opportunity I'll I'll do it.
0: When did you start putting hands on, you know, you're racing the BMX. So you, the, the guys are coming in with the trailers with the extra bikes and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And my guess is you, you know, you got yours in a pickup truck or a station yeah, wagon or something good. like that's that. Right. Yeah. So at what point in time did you start putting your hands on on maybe your dad's MG or uh, the bicycles, because that's a different world than, than racing in SCCA. So I'm I'm guessing your dad's working on his car, you're working on your bikes.
2: Yep, exactly.
0: Uh, How did you acquire those skills?
2: Well, you know, that's, um, uh, it's, it is, I felt like it was the same for me, the, the BMX and the bikes, those were my race cars. So my dad's out there in the garage, yeah, uh, you know, working on his engine and working on the car and getting it ready and prepped for uh, for the next race. And you know, I was doing the same thing with my bike. Uh, you know, my brother was a little bit better with the bike, so a lot of times he was kind of probably my mechanic, um, and then I was more of just the the rider of tear it, like I do now. You know, you tear up the equipment, you rely on the good people to fix it for you. Um, but uh, yeah, you learn. You you start learning mechanics. You learn how things work on a bicycle as well. in much more simple. Uh, machine, but still so, but also just watching, you know, really the way that I, I observed a lot, always watching and learning and looking, um, listening a lot of times at the racetrack for especially, you know, going around. That's, that's what, how I learned a lot was just by, by, you know, being part of it and, and absorbing it all. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so I, I was trying to mimic what my dad was doing and, and get the bikes ready and all that and, and prep the way he was, prep before the big events. Uh, and, you know, with BMX, you know, we'd race you know twice a weekend. It was kind of, you know, mm-hmm. now my son's into travel baseball, same sort of thing. Yeah, you know, so you're, yeah. Takes you're up off your for time. the weekend yep. and, and that's yeah. what you're doing. So. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, just you learn, um, you know, it's an it's a individual sport. There would be big teams that would show up, you know, with, with trailers of bikes. And I'm kind of, you know, we're, we were just our little. Was it more
0: the bike manufacturers or the, the teams themselves? Yeah, it was bike so, manufacturers would yeah. show
2: up sometimes. And then sometimes bike shops. You know, back then you had lots of bike shops. Well, they'd have and, parts
0: and things yeah, like that. So yeah, so
2: the, yeah. the bike shops would have, have multiple riders that they would ride with. And I got involved with some, you know. is The thing is, is you're when you're the privateer guy, uh, it, which prepared me for my racing career, really, when I think about that. I've always kind of been that guy. You know, when you do well enough, then the teams want you. And yeah. so, so I was able to get in on a couple teams, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, the power comes up, and you start to learn more, and you have better riders to compare yourself with. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. A lot of parallels there to, to, the, to motorsports.
0: As a competitor, now, when you show up at the track and you're with your dad and you're going around visiting the, the, the drivers of cars, You know, everybody wants to pat the little kid on the head and talk to him and all that. As you moved up as a competitor and, you know, you got other guys you're racing against and that, how was the interaction in the BMX, uh, you know, court compared to? What went on at the racetrack
2: it was it was similar it really oh, was it really? Okay. yeah and also you know there's there's, there's certainly a camaraderie amongst competitors yeah so we uh you know we we battle on the racetrack mm-hmm. uh, or the bmx track doesn't matter but you know off it you have a ton in common with those people mm-hmm. and there's a common goal so uh, you know people don't realize that a lot of times that the rivalries will kind of get set and they'll be rivals sometimes and you're not going to like everybody that you compete against mm-hmm. but in the in the in the big picture there's lots of respect um, and camaraderie there. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very similar. You know, I think the BMX is, a, it was, I think BMX is a little bit different because it, since it's a very physical sport, you know, sometimes you just like, my legs were super powerful back then. Cause I rode all the time. I lived in a hilly neighborhood down in, uh, down in Lilburn, Georgia. So, you know, I rode my bike all the time. So that prepared me for the fact that, uh, you know, I was hard to keep up with cause I could outpedal you. So sometimes, uh, you know, where in motorsports, other things, you know, mechanical side things and the team d- uh, dynamics kind of change stuff, sometimes it's a little bit more out of your control, I guess, in motorsports than it is in, uh, in a physical sport like that. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of commonalities between the two and the way the paddocks work.
0: Any, uh, any other drivers that were BMXing?
2: Not at the time, no. It was it was funny. I didn't have any friends either uh, where I was growing up in school. I was kind of the lone lone wolf there. Uh, You know, all the other people were coming from other areas. You know, maybe because again, like I said, down south of the city was where some of that is. There is a rider now that's also a racer that I found. It's kind of funny. I I find out after the fact. You know, some other drivers that also raced BMX. It was huge out in west. So there's a lot of guys I run into and a lot of. uh, friends and uh, whether they're drivers or, or representatives for manufacturers and stuff that, you know, if I find out they run, ran BMX when they were younger, we'll have a lot of stories. But uh, there's, there's one driver in particular that still races competitively, uh, and, uh, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's probably, yeah, I think he's in his 20s, right, but he's still riding BMX. I couldn't imagine riding a bike now. Certainly wouldn't want to crash on one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes a little harder to heal <laughs> yeah. than it used to. Uh, the, the BMX, uh, the the SECA race car, I don't care what, what kind of car it is. I don't care what you're racing, I don't care if you're racing R C cars. At some point in time you need money to do it. Yeah. So, you're racing BMX. How are you buying BMX bikes? Who would what are you doing in your part time to, you know, keep your uh, Keep your fix.
2: Well, I was uh, you know young enough at the stage that uh, it was before working age, so uh, Santa Claus was buying a lot of my oh, BMX really? stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that uh, as I was getting older, you know, yeah, yeah, Santa was uh, was getting asked for you know pedals and cranks and and uh, new ch- new frames and all that stuff, some 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 grips. So a lot of that stuff, yeah, you know, yeah. My folks, you know, have always been so supportive, um, you know, in everything I've done. Um, not only on the emotional side of things, which is you find out later is very, very and important. Is, is, yeah. a, is a huge thing. So unwavering support from from both my mom and my dad, but also, you know, financially, they, they were always, I, I was never left wanting for anything. Uh, and, and the bike stuff, the bikes were expensive for, you know, for what they were at the time. I think they're even more expensive now, but, uh, you know, the, the frames, uh, weight was really super important in that level of BMX. You couldn't have your, you know, your bike that you may go find it, you know, at the time. Was, I'll just use the, 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 uh, the period, place at like Kmart or something like that, yeah, right, yeah, not around right, anymore, but yeah. um, the, if you, the bike you would buy there was way too heavy. You couldn't race that thing. So sure. It might be 10 pounds heavier. So you get on that with a kickstand and, and uh, a chain cover and all that stuff, you couldn't race those. So the racing bikes, just like race cars, right. were highly specialized. So I think my last bike was about 14 pounds, um, uh, which, was, uh, was, which was pretty cool. So, Total bike. Yeah. 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 So, so they, weren't, they weren't cheap by any means, but uh, a little different than motorsports money.
0: Magnesium frames?
2: Uh, sometimes. They were titanium. Yeah. There, titanium was one, there was yeah. one particular brand that that was their, their, that was their you know, thing was titanium frames. Uh, I never had one of those. So. I was going to
0: say, Santa doesn't make a lot of ta- titanium uh, stuff. No, yeah,
2: no. So aware, most, or, mostly uh, yeah. chromoly, chromoly frames, yeah. you know, but then uh, some, some aluminum, you know, other bits and pieces. I remember the seats. Oh, man, you, you couldn't sit on these seats. They oh, were no, made out no. of fiberglass. Yeah. Um, and they were, like, tiny, you know, and they weighed nothing. So um, I restored one of those bikes, actually. It's down in my basement. I spent a little time to restore store it um and it looks really cool it's the same kind of it looked exactly like it did when i rode it last i've got two other my two other frames because i kind of had three frames that i raced i need to uh, spend some time to build them all back up that's cool all
0: right so you're you're you've gone from the racetrack to bmx uh and how do you how do you how do you make the transition from two wheels to four wheels did you go to two wheels motorized or right back to four wheels?
2: I went straight to four wheels okay. with a little bit of a four year break of, of uh, playing high school football, mm-hmm. which was great as well. Um, just a really quick, before I answer that question, you know, the, the football element um, taught me how to be a team member yep. and that played huge roles. Other than the, a lot of my, my best friends that really come from, from that football team, you know, and, and that kind of, you know, brothers in arms kind, of, kind right. of trenches that you're in, you go through so much, but I learned so much in high school and when I look back on it you know I might have thought for a fraction of a minute I'm like I'm gonna go play college ball but you know I'm a race car driver size not football player size so that was never going to happen but still I pushed and, and got stronger but the most important element of that is learning to be one member of a team um, and From there, it helped me with motorsports and sports car racing immensely because it's not an individual sport. Where in BMX, it's pretty much an individual sport. You know, it's just you and the bike and you go race. Um, Even if you're on a team, it's still individual, but that's not the way it works in in sports car racing or or racing in general. So I learned a lot there, but um, I didn't do any motorized two wheel stuff. My dad was, uh, was pretty clever in that he said, you can, uh, you can race motorcycles if you want, but I'm not buying you one. And I didn't have any money or a job. So no, no, <laughs> really, I, I, I kind of finally got what he meant. It was He wasn't interested in me racing, um, whether it would have been, the, the logical thing would have been gone to you know dirt racing, you know, motocross stuff. And I don't think he was keen on that. Um, and I don't think he was keen on me doing road racing either. But uh, I could have easily gone that route. But because... You know, I grew up watching sports car racing and growing up at Road Atlanta I, I just I, that's what I wanted that's what I knew I knew I wanted that's what I wanted to do so it was a, it was a pretty easy transition to go from the two wheels to the four wheels
0: So when you showed up back at the track after you know you've done the BMX thing you've done the high school football thing was your dad still racing during this whole
2: period? He was yeah okay. and, and he switched and this was key also he had switched from the F production he had kind of graduated into a, a sports 2000. Uh, Sports 2000s aren't well; they're around in vintage racing now, Um, but uh, it's basically kind of the predecessor of the Radical, which some people may know, which Mm -hmm. is a little rear-engined sports racer, open-top car, um, you know, really swoopy bodywork, a lot of aerodynamic effect. So he started racing one of those fendered or open. It was it was fendered, Fendered, so but it essentially had. The capabilities of an open-wheel car, and also shared the engine with the Formula Continental. So as you know, I went through my steps of of sports car racing. uh, I started also in those sports 2000s, and uh, you know it was it was essentially. I grew up. My favorite thing were the GTP cars, right? And we have new GTP cars in IMSA, but this is the original run of, of GTP. And those cars were just amazing to me. So we're talking about Porsche 962, uh, the the Jaguars, the um, Mercedes. The Mercedes didn't run over here. That was Group C car. But the Nissans, uh, Toyota, um, Spice. These cars were amazing to me. And the Sports 2000 was essentially it was the mini version of those. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, it was a trainer car for that. So as I was playing football, I was still going to uh, to all the races and stuff with my dad. But my dad moved actually. Uh, to my hometown now, he didn't move, they were still down in Lilburn, but the shop in Athens, Georgia called Comprent Motorsports, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he started running with, with Kevin Klepfer in Comprent Motorsports. Right. So that introduced me to the town of Athens. The First time I ever went there was going to that shop with my dad to check out his new race car. So, um, so that was, you know, that grew into a relationship that I still have now. Uh, and that's where I started racing that car. When I, when I began racing myself, my dad had bought me a Sports 2000 to run alongside with him and we ran out of Comprint. Cool.
0: So did you step into your dad's car as far as being your first time on track?
2: Yeah, my first time on track uh, was, um, now it wouldn't be illegal because I think you can race at 14 years old, but at 17. But my, my first time in a race car was, was a Skip Barber school. That was my high school graduation gift. Okay. So my dad, had uh, mom and dad had got me the Skip Barber three-day school, and that was here at Road Atlanta. Right. So my very first race car was the, you know, the little Skippy uh, Formula Ford. Um, and then from there, um, I drove another, another friend of my father's Sports 2000 at a SCCA driver's school to start cutting my novice license. And then I went uh, to a Sports 2000, I think at, at Roebling Road down in Savannah, I drove my dad's uh, Sports 2 the first time. Pretty sure I sent it off the track and damaged one of the side pods a little bit on a spin, but uh, I still had a good a good day and, and I think it was impressed he impressed him enough that he he then bought me a chassis and I started racing one as well and regional SCCA stuff. How old were you then? I was 18. You so, so okay. yeah at the time you had to be uh, and I, I love telling people this I give these kids a hard time at the time in SCCA that was 97 you had to be 18 years old to get your your racing license right. As soon as I turned 18, they dropped it down to 16. And I remember being so you know oh. mad at them. I was like, you just wasted two years. I don't know if I'd have been racing those two years, but I could have tried to get in there. And now, uh, you know, I see kids all the time and train kids that are 14 and younger. Oh, yeah. Um, I yeah. think I saw a couple of 12-year-olds that were racing a Formula Ford at uh, Circuit of the Americas a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, as they, as you, yeah, it's, it's amazing how young they get. So, so my first real race car that I drove was my dad's uh, Lola. It was a Lola chassis, which is still a company, a British company. Um, Had a little Ford Pinto engine in it, a little two liter Ford. And that was the first race car I drove. And then a a version of that chassis I, I drove. It was my first race car that I raced. What was going through your mind? It was amazing. Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe it. But it felt so natural. I just it was it was me driving around Road Atlanta, I, I already knew everything. I already knew the line. Mm-hmm. I don't remember having to study up on it or, or, or you know, I, I, I always absorbed, like I, I was telling you earlier, I was listening And I I would love listening to the drivers talking after the sessions, you know, the bench racing that goes on. And I was, whether it was my dad talking to his competitors or me kind of trying to listen to, you know, my heroes and hear what Hurley was saying, you know, or, or just watching the TV interviews. I kind of already knew how to get around the track. I'd watched it so much. I knew what the line was. I understood that. You know, I understood the, the and and learned in the in the skip driving school. I understand the braking and the downshifting and and, and this
0: was all before 10A and 10B. Oh yeah, yeah. This, know, this I did.
2: The, I was yeah. able to drive in the original straight, configuration. Straight with to the, dip. the bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was really cool. It was my my only my first full season of racing was with the dip, and then they changed it. Um, and I loved that version. I love I love 10A and 10B as well. It added a different element to the racetrack, but it took away a, a pretty amazing section. Um, which in hindsight is, it was probably needed to go away because the cars were getting a little too fast for yeah. that group, that, yeah. that little area, but uh, it was cool that I was able to cut my teeth on the original track. So, uh, it just, it, it, it was, it was amazing. I've always been very grateful of the opportunity from my parents. None of this would be possible without them financially, of course, but also just, again, the emotional and the, the support and the confidence they gave me, um, none of this would have been possible. So I was always, it was, I never took any, uh, any of it for granted. So even that first day driving the race car, I was thankful and it was just, but it felt so right. It felt like what I was put on the earth to do all of it, the driving, the, the whole thing. It was just, I was in my element at that time. So those laps, um, I'd love to find that chassis. If I could, I would buy that race car and I'd go race it again myself. Just, just were you fielding
0: the car out of a Kevin shop? I was, yeah, that yeah,
2: and that was that was so, so uh, so cool. So also, at the same time, I graduated from high school, uh, Brookwood High School down in Gwinnett County, and I went to UGA University of Georgia, so I got accepted there. So it was all like that time of life was just I, it was amazing. Um, and and such a great time. so i'm I'm a freshman in college, you know, experiencing all that. Um, and then after school and classes, I would drive over there to Comprint, and I would work, you know, I'm going to go air quotes, I would work on my own race car. I think I messed it up a bunch, and then, uh, you know, the actual mechanics at the shop when I left would have to undo the stuff. But, um, you know, basically, the the deal was I was supposed to do as much work as I could on the race car to kind of offset cost sure. so I could race. Um, and that's what I did in my off time at school. So... I had the Hope Scholarship at the time because I was trying to be a good student. So, you know, Hope Scholarship was paying for a lot of my racing and then I was trying to offset the cost and then my folks were covering the rest. Um, But uh, those were really important years because I learned tons about race car mechanics. Uh, And I don't mean the mechanics, the individuals, but like the mechanics of the the bits and pieces and how the gearboxes work and how shocks work and how to put together race cars. And I tell people, I actually, I'm a good race car mechanic myself but I'm slow. So it may take me, if if you want me to build a gearbox for you, I could do that, but I probably need about a week. Those guys can do it in about maybe 20 minutes. So, so, you know, and I'm also the guy, I don't have that feel that the pro mechanics are so amazing. Like I'll tighten something, and then if, if I, I'm like, I think it needs to be tighter, and then it gets loose again, I did that a lot, you know, where it's like, no, no, now you've stripped it out. So I don't have that perfect touch that these guys have, you know, with the with the internal torque. I need to torque wrenches for everything, if, or I'd screw it up.
0: Well, it's amazing that you, that you bring up the mechanics. It's amazing to watch them do something as complex as a gearbox or a gearbox change or something in the
2: middle of a race. It's crazy. With the heat and all that stuff, well, I needed a the total... Heat that, 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 and not the pressure. only the heat heat the pressure yeah, it's amazing i've seen now now as we as we you know as i think about these the last 25 years i've seen mechanics just do amazing things these guys are so everybody at the racetrack at the pro level they're all so high level at what they do it's absolutely amazing um, and yeah to see some of the stuff and gearboxes those are easy talk about engine changes talk about you know whole cooling systems in and out of a car in under 10 minutes, you know, where you can still continue in a, in, a, in a long endurance race. And again, I mean, hundreds of degrees of temperatures and tons of pressure and tons of ways to make mistakes. And then, but I trust them. You see them. I'll hop right back in there and I'll drive whatever they put together for me because I know they've done it right. It's amazing.
0: Well, that's, that, uh, that's a, quite a compliment coming from a driver because you know to have that to have that faith in your your guys mm-hmm. because without it you can't you can't be competitive now,
2: that's where the team element comes from and what I learned from playing you the, know the, the other sports and playing football specifically is I, there's no way the drivers get the accolades and we're spraying the champagne and we're doing the interviews and we get to drive the cool cars and yes that's awesome and that is a very important uh, important part of the sport but none of it's possible without the, the mechanics and, and the, car, the car chiefs and the engineers. Uh, that's a crazy relationship too, an important relationship that you have as a driver engineer. Um, yeah, there's no way. You can't do it without any of them. And it goes all the way down to the, the, the tire guys, uh, and not the tire guys, they're very important. That's a, actually a, a, a high level position trying to, it's amazing just trying to balance out the tire pressures with the atmospheric conditions and all that stuff. But I'm talking about, you know, you might have a kid that's washing the wheels and you think, oh, well, that kid's not important. No, no, he's just as important because when you're washing the wheels, this is something I learned at Comprint Motorsports, the cleaning of the vehicle after the events is when you inspect it and you find cracks. You find a cracked wheel when you're cleaning the wheel after a race. If that's not cleaned and you don't find that crack and that crack fails on the racetrack, then you've got a smashed up race car and Mm -hmm. it's over, right? So every single position plays a massive role of importance on a race team. Uh, so that's never been lost on me either. Every team member is equally important from my, from my standpoint. And a okay. lot of people don't feel that way, but I do.
0: So we've got you midway through UGA, mm-hmm. graduation. Yep. Uh, what I'd like to do is have you in next week and take you from graduating UGA awesome. to putting your your seat in the seat of a professional race car.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Sounds
0: Davis, great. Andrew Davis Race, and thanks, uh, thanks so much for being with us here at Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast.
2: This is great. Thanks for having me.
0: So, last week, I had your recommended glass guy come and put the rear window in the Mustang Fastback I've been working on forever, okay. forever and ever, it seems. Uh, the 73, where the glass is almost laying down flat. Mm-hmm. But it's mounted in rubber, so you've got to put it in with a, with a rope. Right. And he had the special gizmo. I mean, you know, 15 minutes he had it in. Yeah. And everything was cooking. And I had some, some trim to put back on the window that I had gotten from year one, and it's good trim, but Bud had used brand new clips, and I did not understand the concept of trim clips. Uh, they need to fit looser than I had them on the car. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to you have to tweak them a little bit when you put right. them on. So that's what's called tuition when you're building a car. You, you pay tuition one way or another. So I went to put the trim on, and I messed up the trim. Mm-hmm. So I called uh, year one, I told them what I'd done, and I, you know, after they got done calling me a big dummy for not stretching the clips out but after we got through that uh, I said well can you get me a couple more pieces of trim he says man we're out of it he says we got some coming but it's not here right this minute but they found another supplier for me and they got on the horn and they said here's somebody that does have it in stock because we know you're trying to get the car finished as any of us nuts are that are building the car when you get to this point you're trying to get it done and so many times I've put that trim on and did the little slap right and broke the glass and that was my biggest concern breaking mm-hmm. the glass but instead i, I you, messed up the trim right the and trim is very fragile well and you know what i found out and and like i say all of this is a lesson learned is every place there's a clip they recommend that you take a piece of masking tape and let remind yourself where the clip is mm-hmm. so you're not trying to push it on to or you're not hammering it down where there isn't a clip, there isn't a clip and right. it'll bend the other part of the, mm-hmm. the trim so you know that's the kind of things you learn as you go but uh, you know the folks at the counter year one could probably have told me that if I had called them and asked them how do you put this trim on
1: Right, but, but you don't know no, what you don't, you don't know. don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah, you don't even know what to ask. And, and nobody's nobody's judgmental. They just say, hey, you know, Yeah. well, well let's it's... see if we can get you some more stuff. And next time, don't be such a big dummy. Use a smaller hammer. Right, we all run into that from oh, time to time. Absolutely. And uh, folks at Year One will help you out. Check them out at yearone.com. Well, it's time for some thank yous. First of all, let's thank Jacobs Media for the production studios. And uh, our, produ- our producer... DJ Bill, will talk about that in a minute. And Lanier Technical College, where you can learn a career an actual livelihood in a, in a couple years in many cases. Year One, classic muscle car restoration folks in Cornelia, Georgia. Fantastic people to deal with. I deal with them all the time. Check them out at year1.com. Concept One, billet pulley systems. And they are amazing systems for the pulleys on the front of your car, car any of the cars you're building, your street rods, things like that. I use them on all the stuff I build, and you should, too, so check them out at C1.com. And last but not least, Andrew Davis, you know, he's a local guy from Athens, Georgia, national champion sports car driver, and uh, next week, Andrew is going to address how young drivers can get into racing and uh, some of the challenges they face nowadays uh, when we do part two with them. DJ Bill, tell a little bit about the DJ. Well, thank you, bud. I uh, host and produce a game called DJ Trivia. We are nationwide. DJtrivia.com is the website. Go there. Click on the link there, and you can t- type in your
1: zip code, find a game near you. And if you're in the North Georgia area, you just might find me hosting those very same games. We're family-friendly and free. Be back to you, bud. Free as always.
0: Isn't it awesome? Yeah. You want to come out? Uh, if you want to check out Bud's Garage on terrestrial radio, that's on AM 550 and FM 102.9. We also have a radio app here at the uh, at WDUN. Uh, that is called Access WDUN. And you can get the show of the week. And then uh, when we record a new one, it turns over. But anytime you want to listen to Bud's Garage or Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast, just go to your favorite site that you're on right now. In the meantime, keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here on Bud Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Have a great week.